So this week I had been a little nostalgic and I was sharing some stories with my family and I was sharing one story in particular about 23 years ago or so. My parents thought it would be a great idea for my sister and I to go to the wonderful island of Puerto Rico. Now this was going to be a big trip for us because it would be the first time that we would be traveling, not only traveling, but traveling somewhat internationally to a completely different place and we would be doing it just my sister and I. And of course this was before 9-11 so it was a little easier back then. So we went and went on a plane and hopped on to this plane and went to the island of Puerto Rico and my grandparents were there ready to pick us up and I about died because everything was very different there. If you think it's hot here it was two times hotter there and there was no such thing as central AC in my grandma's house. So it was a wonderful thing to be able to hang out by the window uh, AC unit on the wall. But worst off for me was the fact that when I turned on the television, everything was in Spanish. And I about died at that point because as a little kid, I was hooked on my little television shows. So of course, the, the weeks roll on and Saturday comes and I'm excited to enter into my normal ritual, which is to watch some Saturday morning cartoons. And I turn on the station and I'm so excited to see a few cartoons that I'm familiar with. And the theme song goes and the theme song's in English. And I'm thinking to myself, this is great. They must air these shows in English and the theme song plays and I recognize it. And then as soon as the person talks, it's in Spanish, and I go, oh, and I'm so upset about all of it. Now, maybe you haven't had an experience quite like that, quite like under, uh, being in a different place with a different language and not yet knowing what is being spoken, but that for me was a story of how important it is to be able to understand something well. Today we are going to be talking about understanding things well, and specifically the meaning behind God's word and what he is calling us to. So uncharacteristic for today, we are actually going to be hearing the big idea first. Now, I don't want you to think that you can leave the church because you got the main theme for today. Uh, you need to stick around and hear a little bit more. But the big idea for today is how our thought life matters. Our thought life matters. Say that with me. Our thought life matters. I'll be honest with you. If you didn't notice yet... We at this church, we take scripture very seriously. And I'm not the kind of preacher that at least jumps from topic to topic. Oftentimes what we do strategically as a church is we go through different books within scripture. And the reason for that is because we want to be confronted by the full breath of God's word. We want to hear what God says, not in a particular passage, but in the entirety of the text. But I'll be honest that when I started to write this message, including the messages that are going to follow, it was a little bit hard for me. 
You see, many of you probably know the Sermon on the Mount, have heard the Sermon on the Mount, understand the person of Jesus, or at least think positively about all of those things. And that's a good thing. I think if I were to ask somebody off the street who Jesus is, they most likely would say something like, well, he was a really good moral teacher, or he taught us that we needed to love our neighbors, or he taught us that we need to treat other people the way that we, ought, that we want to be treated. And all those things are good, and they're, they're very true. But Jesus also said things that were revolutionary for his time, and I would say revolutionary for our time as well. He said things that would have been difficult to hear in his day and are still difficult for our day. He said things that would cause other people to feel intimidated, upset, and question his authority. In the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of those hard things that Jesus said. The things that are easy to forget. The things that we don't want to always put on a bumper sticker. So to do that, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. And again, I invite you to open up your Bibles to, the, uh, to, the, to chapter 5 verse 21. If not, we do have it on the screen. 521 says this, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Pastor Kevin, you're doing all this buildup to say that Jesus was saying things very, very controversial. This doesn't sound very controversial to me. What are you talking about? Jesus, for the next several sections, will begin with this phrase and this idea of, you have heard that it was said. And the reason why he is doing that is because he wants to talk to the listeners of his day about what is commonly accepted. And I would say that even today, we commonly accept this idea of you shall not murder. Now, everybody doesn't listen to that idea. In fact, we had a police officer helping us out this past week for our 4th of July uh, time here. And I asked him how things were going. And he told me just in the last several years, they went from 16 homicides on average a year to now they're dealing with one every week. That's an exponential increase in the amount of violence that is happening within our city. But for the most part, as a society, as a people, whether we realize it or not, we've been influenced with what I would call is a Judeo-Christian perspective. That is a moral that comes from God's law, specifically the Ten Commandments. And the Sixth Commandment teaches us what? That we shall not murder. Now, there's always been some questions behind whether God's law says murder or whether it says to kill. And if you grew up reading a, a King James Bible, you would have heard the word kill but more modern translations have put in from Exodus 20, 13, you shall not murder. 
And I think that is a good word there because it actually comes from the Hebrew word that typically means to murder, to inflict violence and harm on one's enemy. And it even goes further to say to even create violence in somebody's life by carelessness and neglect. So Jesus is speaking to this crowd in the same way that I'm speaking to you about a concept that at this point is commonly accepted. Hey, you shouldn't murder other people. Hey, you shouldn't do violence to other people in a way that takes their lives. But here's the thing. All of us, all of us in this room have the advantage of history teaching us this for thousands of years. And we forget that these ideas at a time were revolutionary. At a time, they would have been an idea that maybe other people didn't accept, endorse, or agree with. But Jesus wants to be able to push people to see even more than just murder. He goes in verse 22 and says this, But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Why does Jesus do this? You have heard it said that you shall not murder, but I say to you, and then he goes on to say that anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. What Jesus is trying to do here is he's trying to raise the stakes. You see, I think for many of us, when we look at God's word or we look at the morals within scripture, we look at it as a form of boundaries. Now, boundaries are not a bad thing, but they can be a bad thing when you think about, well, how far can I go before I fall off the edge? You know, for years, I had the privilege of being a youth pastor, and as you can imagine, youth typically ask the question, well, how far could I go in this relationship with my boyfriend or girlfriend? And I get the sincerity of that question, but oftentimes, whether you're young or you're older, you think of these questions wrongly. You see, the goal isn't always where the boundaries are. It's all, the goal more so is, is why is it even there? What is God trying to instill in each of us? Pastor Kevin, I understand that you're teaching today on murder. I understand that you're talking about the sixth commandment, that we shouldn't murder. Well, don't worry about it. I haven't done that. Jesus' crowd could have probably said the same thing. But what is Jesus really trying to get at here? 
why does he say and try to push the envelope or push, raise the stakes, so to speak, with saying that you cannot, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Because you see, God's law, his word, is always trying to transform us from the inside out. Maybe you haven't thought about it, but the reason why there is a verse in Scripture that teaches us not to murder is because murder is violating the image of God. If you didn't know this, every single one of you here is created in God's image. That means that whether you're male or female, each of you represents a part of God's image. So the reason why God did not want people to murder is because in murdering and creating harm in other people's lives, you're doing what? You're destroying the image of God. But here's the thing, church, and here's why this is so important and why this is so challenging for all of us today is the reality is is that many of us, while we might not physically commit the act of violence on another individual, many of us are very, very, very comfortable with committing terrible acts within where? Our minds. And we all know of a person that at some point or another, even if we didn't physically act on an impulse to do evil, we thought terrible, evil thoughts towards others. Or we hoped that harm would befall them. Where we hoped that something would bad could perhaps happen to them. Or maybe when something does happen, we think, well, they deserved it. Or we think, well, I'm very glad about that. You see, God's law of thou shall not murder had more to do with God's image than it did with a physical act of just taking a life. Of course, it's terrible to take a life, and that's why it's there. But more so, it has to do with the heart life or the thought life. Because you see, when we allow our thoughts to go to places that they shouldn't be in, we are still oftentimes creating harm in the lives of other people. Let's be honest with ourselves. When we think terrible thoughts about others, are we the kinds of people that God can use? If I hate my brother, Nathan, I'm going to pick on you. If I hated Nathan, am I really going to be willing to love Nathan? Am I really going to be willing to pray for Nathan, to be there when he needs me? Most likely not. And you see, many of us, we grow in our own self-righteousness and thinking, well, I'm not so bad because I'm not on whatever channel of news you watch doing crazy things. 
But in reality, Christ says the same judgment that a murderer would face, you also face if you are angry with a brother or a sister. That's hard to hear. That's hard to accept. That the same weight of judgment is on any one of us who is just angry with a brother or a sister. Now, let me define that a little bit more. I'm not just talking about being upset at something. Because there are times in life where it is 100 appropriate to be angry at something. When you see an injustice, for instance, in life, it is right to be angry about that because the injustice exists, right? But what's wrong is, is to allow that anger to turn in the form of hatred that prevents godliness in your life. Why is Jesus asking these kinds of questions? Or why is Jesus, uh, better said, saying these kinds of things? Is because he wants to produce in all of us a certain kind of character. He desires for us a purity of mind as well as a purity of actions. Because actions ultimately spring forth of the mind. If your mind is in control, your actions tend to also be in control. And Jesus is understanding that godliness starts with what? Oftentimes with godly thoughts. It makes sense then that God or Jesus would shift the conversation about what? The ways that we think about other people. You know, it's times like this that make it very difficult for me as a pastor to preach. Not because the message isn't easy to understand, but it's hard to live out, right? It's hard to hear these words and say to oneself, I will not let my life be ruled by the anger that I have towards other people. But chances are that all of us, whether right now or formally, deal with anger towards somebody else. And maybe it's not the type of lingering anger that you think about every single day, but it's the kind of anger that can easily set you off, that can easily make you clouded to see maybe what the Holy Spirit desires for you to see out of life. It is a hard thing to examine our inner thoughts. And the reality is, is that I can fool you and you can fool me in making it seem like our actions are godly or our character is godly. But the Lord ultimately knows the thoughts of each and every single one of us. You know, in life right now, 
I've probably mentioned it a time or two already. Uh, we've been trying as best as we can to grow some vegetables and reseed a lawn. And as you know, with all the rain that we've been getting, there's also other unwanted things that start to pop up out of the yard, and we call those weeds, right? And every single time I see one, I get very upset because they oftentimes grow at a faster rate than I can pull them. But why do we pull these things out of our yards? Why do we not want them in our gardens? Not just because they're unsightly, but because we know that they do what? They destroy the good fruits. God wants to be able to protect in each of us the good fruits that he desires for us to produce. And sometimes the hardest thing that we can do is confront our inner thought life, the things that we think. Jesus feels so strongly about this that in verse 23, he says this, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come offer your gift. Verse 25. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. There have been times where I've been on my way to church, maybe the morning of or the night before, my wife and I got into an argument. And the time is ticking. And I know, and she knows that I, that I know this, that I can't preach until we've settled this matter. And I believe that for, for the same reason that Jesus is sharing this with us today. If you didn't know, within Jewish tradition... It was common for people to give offerings unto the Lord. They would give offerings typically in repentance of their sins. And yet something so important and so a part of the Jewish tradition that Jesus is saying what? Leave your offerings where? Right there in the altar. That it is better to leave your offerings there and settle that issue that you have with that brother or sister of yours and reconcile with that person as best as you can and go and then come back and give the gifts to God. So what does this tell us? It tells us so importantly that our thought life matters. That God would rather us leave the, uh, our offerings at the altar than to be what? A hypocrite of sorts in giving offerings to God 
while also harboring hatred, resentment, malice towards other people. Our heart life, our thought life matters, church. It matters probably more than we can ever even imagine. You see, God desires for each of us to be true worshipers, to be the kinds of people that are consistent not just within our actions, but also within our thoughts, to be the kind of people that can settle the issues of our hearts that we have with others. So here is a very serious encouragement for each of you to follow as a way of application this week. That if there is somebody that you are angry towards, that if there is a moment in this week where you become very upset at another individual, that you would take that seriously. That you wouldn't go and then gossip about that individual to somebody else. That you wouldn't allow that to be a seed that grows into a big weed in your own garden of your mind. But that you would take seriously that God himself sees this act in very many ways in the same level as murder. Because both of them are destroying the image of God. One in your mind and one physically. Can you take the commands of Jesus serious enough to say that the next time I feel upset at somebody in an ungodly way, that I will take seriously controlling my heart and controlling my mind? You know, pretty recently I had to engage with somebody, uh, not within this church, it was outside of this church, that really wounded me. And they wounded me in a way that caused me to grow very upset at this individual. And it was very hard because all I wanted to do is look for an opportunity to just shove right back what I felt like was being dished towards me. Have you ever felt that way? And I knew that I couldn't do that. At least even when I would do that, I would feel that sense of yuck in my life. And you probably know what I'm talking about. I think that is oftentimes the Holy Spirit saying, Kevin, I do not desire for you to have these thoughts and these feelings. But it was incredibly difficult for me to overcome them. Because oftentimes the strategy of the world is to do what when we feel a certain way? Ignore, right? Well, just don't think about it anymore. Well, just by you saying don't think about it, I'm thinking about it, right? But I was reminded by a mentor of mine who would oftentimes tell me that when the enemy wants me, desires for me to think evil, to then replace that with prayer. That instead of allowing my words to be the words of hatred or evil or vengeance for other people, to replace those thoughts 
with prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a hard thing to do. It is difficult when somebody has wronged you, and I'm not just talking about cut you off on the road. I mean, has really wronged you, has created an emotional scar in your life, has wounded you deeply. It is really difficult to turn from wanting to see fire come down from heaven to blessing them, to praying for them, to asking for God to get a hold of their hearts. And I did that. And let me tell you, it felt like I was praying every five to ten minutes because my emotions and my heart continuously went back to that anger, that sense of injustice, that feelings of rage. And I think I was justified in feeling the way that I was feeling. But I was not justified in desire, allowing those feelings to be an excuse or a license to think about evil in the life of somebody else. Unfortunately, we hide behind that. And maybe when we talk to other people, we, we bring up our justifications on why we are right to feel the way that we feel. But at the end of the day, even if the wrongdoing in your life allows you to rightly be angry, the Lord does not want you to live in that anger. Amen? What would it look like if in every circumstance in life, when we felt those feelings of anger, vengeance, rage, the kinds of feelings that I'm sure every person at some point feels, and especially those that end up doing violence or desire to do violence, what if we then replaced it with prayer? I had to, to, to walk through that recently. And soon enough, the five to ten minute intervals became 20 to 30 minutes. Lord, I bless this person's name. I just ask that you would help this individual continue to get to know you, Lord. I pray, Lord, a blessing upon their life. I pray that you would continue to convict me and convict them in the areas that we need to grow in. I thank you for the grace that you give me and the grace that you give this individual. May you, Lord... Bring healing upon this relationship, and at the very least, may you, Lord, help us, if we cannot reconcile with each other, become more reconciled to your image. Ten minutes turned into 20 minutes, turned into an hour, turned into several hours, turned into days now. I still get upset, I still feel offended. I still feel wronged, but the anger is slowly dying. And I'm hoping that through doing these kinds of things in my own life, that I can live out what Jesus is calling us to. But the only way that I can do that, and the only way that you can do that, 
is if you recognize that your thought life matters. Because God wants to create in us a clean heart. He wants to call us to something higher. He wants us to be people that do more than follow the rules, but are truly the kinds of people that live transformative lives from the inside outwards. And the only way that we can truly walk with Christ is if we say, Lord, don't just change my actions, change my mind, change my heart, change all of me, Because, Lord, I know that left to my own devices, if I'm not living out my sin, I'm living it out in here. And this is where true freedom can happen, church. It can only happen in the intersections of us allowing God to take control of every single part of who we are. So when Jesus says to pick up your cross and follow him, these are the kinds of crosses that we are called to pick up the ones that exist in our minds when we're tempted to go into directions that lead us astray. So it was a hard message to hear then, and it's a hard message to hear today. But I believe that if you want to have the freedom of God, If you want to feel the empowerment and the goodness of God's spirit in your life, then it begins in here. Let's pray. You know, just a brief note before we take time to hear God or to talk to God and hear from him. I want to encourage you that if there is somebody that you maybe would murder in your heart, but not physically, but just are angry at, that you would think of that person now. And I know that's hard because that oftentimes means that you have to think about the pain that that person caused you. You have to think about what it felt like to live in that moment where somebody wounded you. But ignoring that person, shoving that person to a dark corner of your heart doesn't fix anything. If anything, it just makes you hide a little bit better. And as we pray now, I want you to try to do something that is very, very difficult. And that is give that person over to the Lord. Maybe I don't want you to be fake. I don't want you to bless that person in a way that just says, well, Lord, just bless all his actions and bless the hurt he gave me. I don't mean it to be how should I say, dismissive of the pain you've experienced. But truly, truly, maybe for the first time in your life, pray for that individual. 
and pray for yourself that you would ask God for his mercy, for his grace in the life of that other individual as well as in the life of yourself. To know what it's like, maybe for the first time in your life, to relate to Jesus, praying for others, even in the midst of his cru crucifixion. So let's pray to God together.